This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, if you've been a long-time listener to the show, you'll know that one of my favorite programs is Our Miss Brooks. The casting of this show is nothing short of brilliant. From Eve Arden as Connie Brooks, English teacher at Madison High, to the gruff and always on the brink of exploding Gail Gordon as Principal Osgood Conklin. Then there was Jane Morgan as the ditzy landlady, Mrs. Davis, to Richard Crenna as favorite student and sometimes the guy who would chauffeur Miss Brooks to school in his jalopy. All of the cast were bang on in their delivery, and the show won many accolades from radio audiences over the many years. But Our Miss Brooks was a hit on radio from the very outset. Within eight months of its launch as a regular series, the show landed several honors, including four for Eve Arden, who won polls in four individual publications of the time. Arden won a radio listener's poll by Radio Mirror magazine as the top-ranking comedian of 1948-1949. And receiving her award at the end of our Miss Brooks broadcast that March, she joked, Well, I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me, because I understand that if I win this two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Boynton. (laughs) But she was also a hit with critics. A winter 1949 poll of newspaper and magazine radio editors, taken by Motion Picture Daily, named her the year's best radio comedian. For its entire radio life, the show was sponsored by Colgate Palmolive Pete, promoting Palmolive Soap, Luster Cream Shampoo, and Tony Hair Care Products. Tonight, we'll hear about Connie's dream of a vacation that doesn't quite add up compared to her bank account. Now, it's our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Like many of us, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has been making plans for a summer vacation. Last Thursday morning at breakfast, she discussed the subject with her landlady. Mrs. Davis, this summer, I'm really going to relax and enjoy myself. Good for you, Connie. What are you going to do? Well, I've been thinking of Europe. What a wonderful way to spend your vacation. I can see you now, all through the warm summer nights, sitting out in our backyard... Thinking of Europe. Well, I'm not just going to think about it, Mrs. Davis. I'm determined to travel this year. My goodness. What made you arrive at that decision? Well, frankly, I couldn't resist those Hawkins travel posters all over town. You've seen them. Let Hawkins guide you through Italy. Let Hawkins guide you through France. Well, yesterday, I went to their office and told them what I could afford for a summer vacation. What did they say? 
Let Hawkins guide you through Yonkers. <laughs> but when I told them I was a teacher, they made me a very interesting proposition. All I have to do is get three friends to take one of their tours, and I get mine for a third of the price. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Connie. How have you progressed so far? So far, all I need is three friends and a third of the price. <laughs> Say, maybe you might like to take the tour with me. Me? But, Connie, how could I? The only possible way I might afford a trip like that would be if I were to collect all the back rent you owe me. <laughs> well, that lets you out. <laughs> you see, Mrs. Davis, if I paid you back everything I no, owe... No, I didn't mean to ruin your day, Connie. Your credit is still good with me. Besides, even if you did make a substantial payment to me through some sudden miracle... I still couldn't go abroad. I feel I should spend the summer with my sister Angela. Oh, isn't she feeling well, Mrs. Davis? Well, she's all right physically, but the poor thing gets more absent-minded every year. She really needs me, Connie. Did I tell you about our last telephone conversation? No, you didn't. No, I didn't what, dear? <laughs> you didn't tell me about your last phone conversation. Well, you seldom tell me about your phone conversation. <laughs> Pull up a couch and lie down. Uh, to get back to my plan... Oh, there's Walter Denton. Be right there, Walter. Oh, thank goodness he's not coming in for breakfast. We've only got six eggs left. <laughs> Connie, before you go, I'd like to make a suggestion. What is it? Why don't you tell Walter about the Hawkins Travel Agency? Maybe his parents would like to send him away for the summer. <laughs> They'd probably love to send him away, but I don't think it would be fair to Europe. There's something different about the car today, Walter. You've made it very cheerful somehow. Just by adding you, Miss Brooks. <laughs> no, there's something plus me. I know. You've painted the top a nice shade of sky blue. Yeah, I've done better than that. I left the top at home. <laughs> you are looking at the sky itself. Oh. Well, it's better than looking straight ahead. Nothing to see there but fleeing pedestrians. <laughs> uh, Walter, have you noticed the travel posters all over town? Yeah, yeah, I have, Miss Brooks. Why? I was just wondering. Hmm. How would you like to eat your way acro uh, travel across <laughs> across Europe this summer? Me? Oh, my folks would never let me go abroad alone. Well, so much the better. Maybe they'd enjoy a European trip too. Yeah, no, no, I'm afraid not, Miss Brooks. They've already made their plans for a summer vacation. Well, I'm sorry they've got other plans, Walter. It would have been nice to have you all along. Along? Are you going abroad, Miss Brooks? I'm trying to. If I tell you something in strictest confidence, will you promise to keep it quiet? My jaws are a steel trap. <laughs> that I know. Just be sure you keep them shut. The truth is, Walter, if I can get three other customers for the Hawkins Agency, I can tour France and Switzerland for a third of the regular price. Gosh, that's a wonderful deal, Miss Brooks. Have you thought about Mr. Conklin? Only when I eat something heavy before going to bed. <laughs> uh, Mr. Conklin never takes his family any place but to Crystal Lake. They have a cottage there, you know. Yeah, I know, but Harriet told me that her mother's fed up with it and would very much like to travel this summer. 
Look, why don't you drop in and have a heart-to-heart talk with Mr. Conklin? I don't know, Walter. As a rule, he isn't very partial to suggestions that come from me. But Harriet and Mrs. Conklin have been buttering him up for weeks. All you'd have to do is apply the final coat. (laughs) And if I may be permitted a personal observation, Miss Brooks... You are, without a doubt, the greatest little salve artist since Florence Nightingale. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Kildare. There, it's finished, Daddy. I've dusted your office until it shines. Thank you, Harriet. Oh, don't mention it, Daddy. Why, it's the least any daughter could do for a father who's so sweet and considerate and unselfish. Please, Harriet. Desist. All that butter's taking the starch out of my collar. (laughs) However, I do appreciate your getting my office in shape. Mr. Stone is coming over from the Board of Education this afternoon to discuss next term's curriculum. Next term? But, Daddy, we haven't had our summer vacation yet. And while we're on the subject... While we're on the subject, let's drop it. I may have a very pleasant surprise for your mother and yourself if things work out this afternoon. A surprise? What kind, Daddy? Oh, come on, you can tell me. I won't breathe a word to a soul. Well, you'd worm it out of me sooner or later, I suppose. Briefly, I've made an arrangement with the Hawkins Travel Agency whereby we can visit Honolulu for one-third of the regular rate if we secure three other tourists for them. And you think Mr. Stone might be one of the prospects? Exactly. He'd probably love a vacation trip. He's often mentioned how hard he's been working. (laughs) That's a laugh. Chairman of the Board of Education working hard. <laughs> Don't quote me, child. But, Daddy, what about the other two? Who is it? It's Miss Brooks, sir. One moment, Miss Brooks. She's the last person in the world I want to see this morning. Always grumbling about something but or other. Daddy. I understand Miss Brooks is going to do some traveling this summer. I don't care what Miss Brooks is going to do this summer, Harriet, so long as she's going to do some traveling this summer. (laughs) Come in. (laughs) That will be all, Harriet. Run along to class. Yes, Daddy. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hi, Harriet. Well, sit down, sit down. How is my favorite English teacher this morning? Oh, Miss Enright is fine, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) No, no, I was referring to you, my dear. I can't tell you how delighted I am to see you. I was just thinking of the past year and how you've helped so greatly to make it a happy one for me. Huh? (laughs) Oh, we've had our little differences. Some unfortunate incidents have occurred, like the time you dropped the typewriter on my sore foot. (laughs) The afternoon you spilled the ink on my new suit. And that day in the cafeteria when you wantonly rushed me from behind and scattered a tray full of food all over my vest. And then when you had the colossal goal. under the bridge, isn't it? <laughs> what I started to say was that I, I wouldn't have known what to do without you. Well, that's very sweet of you, Mr. Conklin. Not at all. Where would Madison High School be without teachers like yourself? 
And where would we teachers be without a principal like yourself? Oh, you're very kind, Miss Broad. You're generous, Mr. Conklin. You're loyal. You're sincere. <laughs> you're honest. You're benevolent. You're true blue. Oh, I'm sorry if I forgot to wait my turn. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I heard you were thinking of traveling this summer. And I heard you were thinking of traveling this summer. <laughs> yes, yes. I was considering the possibility of a trip to Honolulu. <laughs> I was considering Switzerland. You'd love Honolulu, Miss Brooks. <laughs> oh, you'd be wild about Switzerland, Miss Conklin. Honolulu is so relaxing. <laughs> It's so invigorating. It's so colorful. It's majestic. It's delightful. It's awe-inspiring. It's... It's... Oops, you almost missed your turn again. (laughs) Well, Miss Brooks, wherever you do elect to travel, I'd like to call a certain agency to your attention. Have you heard of the Hawkins Travel Agency? Oh, yes, indeed. They're very efficient. Uh, They're extremely alert. They're up to the minute. Uh, They're progressive. Uh, They're... I pass. <laughs> Let's just say we agree that the Hawkins Agency is the one we'll both use this summer. Fine, fine. You've been most cooperative, Miss Brooks. Well, you're sweet to say so. You're extremely thoughtful. You're... Mr. Conklin, before we go around again, there's something I'd like to say. What's that, Miss Brooks? This is the first time I've ever heard of two people polishing the same apple. <laughs> Well, things are going just fine so far. Uh, yes, I've got one of the customers I need for our deal all sewed up, Mr. Hawkins. <laughs> uh, when I told him I was going to use your service, too, our principal all but jumped down my throat. Well, now all I need are two more, and I'll be on my way to Mexico. Oh, I don't anticipate a bit of trouble. One of my prospects is waiting to have lunch with me right now. Well, thank you, Mr. Hawkins. Hasta la vista. I'll be over as soon as I stop at the steam table, Miss Brooks. You don't have to. I picked up lunch for both of us. Oh. Well, you shouldn't have done this, Miss Brooks. I wanted to buy lunch for you today. You did? Well, I have the checks right here. It was very thoughtful of you to take care of it, though. I I shouldn't let you do it, really. Well, you can still pick up... Bad enough that you pay for your own lunch without trying to... Well, nothing's been paid for yet, Mr. Boynton. The cashier's on the way out, and if you want to... Oh, it wouldn't be very gracious of me to make an issue of it now, I suppose. (laughs) But I I don't want this to become a habit. Now, from here on in, it's Dutch. Sounds exciting. (laughs) Uh, By the way, Mr. Boynton, I understand you're thinking of doing some traveling this summer. Yes, Miss Brooks, I am planning a trip. Oh, I think it's the only way to spend a vacation. How about you? Oh, nothing like it. I'm determined to travel this summer. Oh, may I ask where to, Miss Brooks? France and Switzerland, mostly. Oh, I can picture it now. Bern, Lucerne, Interlaken. I'm going to Mexico. Acapulco, Ensenada, Tijuana. <laughs> well, there's nothing like it. Yeah, but, Miss Brooks, the cities you just mentioned are in Mexico, not Switzerland. I know, but I'm not prejudiced. <laughs> Maybe I'll take a peek at Mexico before I hit the continent. 
Or better yet, maybe I can persuade you to come to Europe with me. Mm, I don't know, Miss Brooks. Mexico's pretty exciting. Switzerland's invigorating. <laughs> Mexico is so colorful. Switzerland is so majestic. Mexico is so romantic. Switzerland is so Mexican. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice to travel together, Mr. Barton. Well, I'm not planning a very luxurious trip, Miss Brooks. I'd want to see something of the back country. Oh, naturally, naturally. I can see us now, sitting together under a big Mexican moon. <laughs> I'd hire a couple of donkeys, and after five days of steady riding, we'd be deep in the interior. I can see us now, standing under a big Mexican moon. <laughs> you know, Miss Brooks, I'm extremely interested in the remains of the Aztec and Inca civilization. And come to think of it, there's no one with whom I'd rather explore those old ruins than you. <laughs> whether to feel flattered or have my face lifted. <laughs> but, Mr. Boynton, wherever we decide to go this summer, I think a good travel agency is most important, don't you? Oh, oh yes, I do. Have you heard of the Hawkins Agency? <laughs> I was just going to ask you the same question. They're very efficient. Oh, they're extremely alert. They're up to the minute. They're progressive, and I pass again. <laughs> then it's agreed? You'll use the Hawkins Travel Agency? I wouldn't go anywhere without them. Positively, Miss Brooks? Absolutely, Mr. Sheehan. Miss Brooks? Oh, hello, Walter. Oh, I thought I caught you before your next class. I've been anxious to find out how you did with Mr. Conklin this morning. Wonderfully, Walter. He's promised to use the Hawkins Travel Agency this summer. And better than that, so has Mr. Boynton. Now all I need is one more customer, and it's gay Paris for little me. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. And, Miss Brooks, I think I've got just what you want right here in my pocket. You never fit. Oh, you mean another customer. Yeah, exactly. I heard from Harriet that Mr. Stone's coming over this afternoon, and I happen to know that he's extremely interested in traveling this year. Of course, he might be a little tougher to approach than the others, but I've thought of a way around that. Walter, what would I do without you? Ooh, don't even think of such a bleak prospect. <laughs> but, Miss Brooks, if you're going to sell Mr. Stone on a trip, you've got to do it graphically. Not just with words, but with gestures and costumes. Huh? Yeah, I figured that out, too. In the home economics room is a complete wardrobe designed for the senior show. Oh, there's one black satin gown in particular in there that's guaranteed to make young men old and old men young. <laughs> Kel Garment. Ooh, la la. <laughs> How do you know it'll fit me? Yeah, the tighter the better, Nespa. Well, it seems that both Mr. Conklin and Miss Brooks have the same prospect in mind as their third tourist for the Hawkins Travel Agency. This doesn't seem too illogical when you consider that they had the same prospects in mind for the first two tourists as well. However, this time they have both decided to convince their man graphically. Well, Harriet, if Mr. Stone will fall for the line of malarkey, I'm... if he'll act upon my suggestion, that is, if he'll utilize the Hawkins Travel Agency this summer, we'll get a trip to... Honolulu for practically nothing. Oh, it sounds great, Daddy. And this costume you've put on should certainly help to convince him. We were lucky to find a flower lay in this uke in the senior show prop box. 
They go beautifully with that gay Hawaiian shirt you're wearing. Well, we can only hope that... Oh, that must be Mr. Stone now. I'd like to talk to him alone, Harriet. All right, Daddy. I'll go out for your inner office. Good luck. Come in, please. Oh, good afternoon, Osgood. I... Oh, pardon me, madam. <laughs> oh, you, you, you were right the first time, Mr. Stone. It is indeed I, Osgood Conklin. Aloha, sir. What? No doubt you're wondering why I'm dressed in this manner. Oh, no. All my principals come to school with flower lays around their necks. I'm merely trying to create a mental image for you. A mental image? I want to go back to my little grass shack in Kealakaua-Wai. Oh, no! With the huma huma nuka nuka apa ua a swimming bath. Put down that ukulele. Pardon me, sir, but it's ukulele. Well, whatever it is, put it away. Have you taken leave of your senses? I know, sir. It's just I heard you're contemplating a trip this summer, and, well, I thought I might be able to give you an idea of where to go. No, I could easily give you an idea of where to go. <laughs> you see, I'm well aware of the efficacy of a graphic description. That's why I'm clad in this fashion. I, Mr. Stone, represent Honolulu. <laughs> Honolulu? <laughs> what are you trying to do? Keep people on the mainland this summer? Oh, come in. <clears throat> Mr. Boyd, what are you doing with that sombrero on? And that horse blanket draped over your shoulder. Boynton, are you posing as a Mexican? Si, senor. <laughs> now listen to me. No, you listen, Mr. Conklin. I am El Rancho Grande. I am El Rancho una rancherita. Que alegre me decía. Que alegre me decía. everything. Between that guitar and your confounded ukulele, Conklin. I, uh, I think it's ukulele, Mr. Stone. I don't care what you think, Barker. I didn't mean to upset you, Mr. Stone. Just that I heard you were planning a trip and I thought you might enjoy a visit to Mexico. Mexico nothing, Boynton. We're all going to Honolulu. <laughs> I haven't decided yet where I'm going, Leilani. Oh, then I still have the chance. I am El Rancho Grande. Now cut that out! Conklin, I came over here to discuss the curriculum for next semester. And if I can do so without any further interruptions, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> Come in. Miss Brooks. Come in, my plan, 
je bois la bière And they say television isn't bringing back vaudeville. <laughs> Brooks, what are you doing in that Parisian gown? And an alpine hat. <laughs> He's probably trying to represent France. But naturellement. And Switzerland. But certainement. Both? But of course not. Oh, there is nothing like Paris in the summer. The Arc de Triomphe, the Rue de la Paix, the Place de la Concorde. And Piccadilly Circus. Miss <laughs> Brooks, Piccadilly Circus happens to be in London. Right, oh, Governor, but if you were so nearby, you wouldn't want to miss that now, would you? Now, now see here, Miss Brooks. But then I... when you leave Paris, you must come with me to Switzerland. In the Alpine villages that are French, you will find the wine, the women, and the songs. Yes, I'm sure that's true, Miss Brooks. Oh, and I... then we go to the Bavarian Alps. <laughs> you notice there is a big difference. A big difference? Yeah. There, with the women and the song, you get beer. <laughs> one, what beer? Two bottles, and you ski down the whole mountains without your skis. <laughs> well, all this is very enlightening. However... That's the way uh, you're wrong. Is a no lightning in the Italiano Alps. <laughs> The Italiano Alps. <laughs> What's the matter? You no remember Switzerland's Italiano colony? The <laughs> Fazul. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but to me this sounds like Arthur Godfrey and his enemies. I was just trying to convince you to travel through Switzerland this summer, Mr. Uh, Stone. I'm afraid I have no intention of going to Switzerland, Miss Brooke. Good. <laughs> oh, quiet, Boynton. I'm not going to Mexico either. Of course he's not. <laughs> to visit the Hawaiian Islands. Well, then where are you going, Mr. Stone? I'll tell you in a moment. But first, may I say that I'm very touched that you're all so anxious to have me with you during the coming vacation. Well, that's because we're all so fond of you, Mr. Stone. Then you'll be pleased to know that you're all going traveling with me this summer. You see, by bringing in you three customers, I get a very reasonable deal from the Hawkins Traveling <laughs> And the trip I have planned for us is a walking trip through darkest Africa. <laughs> darkest Africa? Darkest Africa? Miss Brooks, where are you going? I'm going on a trip through darkest Africa. I'll have to get my batteries recharged. <laughs> Miss Brooks, darling, you are the last ride. It's the first of the 
Directed by Larry Burns. Written by Arthur Oldsburg and Al Lewis for the musical Zobra Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Sports fans, be sure to listen at 2105 hours this evening as AFN Sports brings you the second in a series of games between the Mets and the Giants, direct from Shea Stadium in New York. Stay tuned for Suspense, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for one of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio, Suspense. It was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills, and it focused on suspense thriller-type scripts, usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. Suspense went through several major phases, characterized by different hosts, sponsors, and director-producers. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes, and the protagonist was usually a normal person suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation. Solutions were withheld until the last possible second, and the evildoers were usually punished in the end. Tonight shows a dandy, entitled The Hitchhiker. The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Suspense. Columbia's parade of outstanding thrillers produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herrmann. The notable melodramas from stage and screen, fiction and radio, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in suspense. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. And very happy I am to be back in the United States and back on the Columbia Network even for so short a visit as this one. Back with old friends like Johnny Dietz, who's tonight's director, and Bernard Herman. The Mercury Theater presented tonight's radio play for the first time last year. They came right out then and hailed it as a classic of the medium. Nobody argued the point. A lot of people asked us to do it again, so it's gratifying to get the chance now and to find a favorite of ours in this distinguished anthology of spook shows. Personally, I've never met anybody who didn't like a good ghost story. But I know a lot of people who think there are a lot of people who don't like a good ghost story. For the benefit of these, at least, I go on record at the outset of this evening's entertainment with a sober assurance that although blood may be curdled on this program, none will be spilt. There's no shooting, knifing, throttling, axing, or poisoning here. No clanking chains, no cobwebs, no bony and or hairy hands appearing from secret panels or, better yet, bedroom curtains. If it's any part of that dear old phosphorescent foolishness that people who don't like ghost stories don't like, then again, I promise you, we haven't got it. Not tonight. What we do have is a thriller. It's half as good as we think it is. You can call it a shocker. It's already been called a real Orson Welles story. Now, frankly, I don't know what this means. I've been on the air directing and acting in my own shows for quite a while now, and I don't suppose I've done more than 
half a dozen thrillers in all that time. Honestly, I don't think even that many, but it seems I do have a reputation for the uncanny. Quite possibly, a little escapade of mine involving a couple of planets, which shall be nameless, is responsible. Doesn't really matter. Don't think I disapprove of thrillers. I don't. A story doesn't have to appeal to the heart. It can also appeal to the spine. Sometimes you want your heart to be warmed, and sometimes you want your spine to tingle. The tingling, it's to be hoped, will be quite audible as you listen tonight to The Hitchhiker. That's the name of our story, The Hitchhiker. west of Gallup, New Mexico. If I tell her, perhaps it'll help me. Keep me from going, going crazy. I've got to tell this quickly. I'm not crazy now. I feel perfectly well, except that I'm running a slight temperature. My name is Ronald Adams. I'm 36 years of age, unmarried, tall, dark, with a black mustache. I drive a 1940 Buick license number 6Y175189. I was born in Brooklyn. All this I know. I know that I'm at this moment perfectly sane. That it's not me who's gone mad. It's something else. Something utterly beyond my control. I've got to speak quickly. At any minute, the link may break. This may be the last thing I ever tell on Earth. The last night I ever see the stars. 6 days ago I left Brooklyn to drive to California. Goodbye, son. Good luck to you, my boy. Goodbye, mother. Here, give me a kiss. And I'll go. I'll come out with you to the car. Oh no, it's raining. Stay here at the door. Oh. <laughs> hey, what's this? Tears? I thought you'd promise me you wouldn't cry. Oh, I know, dear. I'm sorry. But I I do hate to see mother, you. Come. I'll be back. It'll only be the, on the coast three months. Oh, it isn't that. It's, it's just the trip. Ronald, I wish you weren't driving. Oh, Mother, there you go again. People do it every day. I know, but you'll be careful, won't you? Promise me you'll be extra careful. Don't fall asleep or drive fast or pick up any strangers on the road. Oh, gosh. I think I was still 17 here, you and why? I mean, as soon as you get to Hollywood, oh, won't you, son? Of course I will. Don't you worry. There's nothing going to happen. It's just eight days of perfectly simple driving on smooth, decent, civilized roads. With a hot dog or a hamburger stand every ten miles. I was in fine spirits. Drive ahead of me, even the loneliness seemed like a lark. I reckoned without him. Crossing Brooklyn Bridge that morning in the rain, I saw a man leaning against the cables. He seemed to be waiting for a lift. There were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. He was carrying a cheap overnight bag in one hand. He was thin, nondescript, with a cap pulled down over his eyes. I would have forgotten him completely, except that just an hour later, while crossing the Pulaski Skyway over the Jersey Flats, I saw him again. At least, he looked like the same person. 
he was standing now with one thumb pointing west. I couldn't figure out how he got there, but I thought probably one of those fast trucks had picked him up, beaten me to the skyway, and let him off. I didn't stop for him. And late that night, I saw him again. It's on the new Pennsylvania turnpike between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. It's 265 miles long with a very high speed limit. I was just slowing down for one of the tunnels when I saw him standing under an arc light by the side of the road. I'd seen quite distinctly the bag, the cap, even the spots of fresh rain scattered over his shoulders. He hallowed at me this time. on the gas like a shot. That's lonely country to the Alleghenies, and I had no intention of stopping. Besides the coincidences or whatever it was, even the Willies. Stopped at the next gas station. Yes, sir. Uh, fill her up. Certainly, sir. Check your oil, sir? No, thanks. It's been raining here recently, has it? Not a drop of rain all week. Oh? Oh, I, I suppose that doesn't done your business any harm. Oh, people drive through here all kinds of weather. Mostly business, you know. There aren't many pleasure cars out on the turnpike this season of the year. I suppose not. What, uh, uh, what about hitchhikers? <laughs> hitchhikers here? What's the matter? Don't you ever see any? Not much. If we did, it'd be a sight for sore eyes. Why? Oh, a guy'd be a fool who started out to hitch rides on this road. Look at it. Then, you've never seen anybody? No. Maybe they get the lift before the turnpike starts. I mean, you know, just before the toll house. But then it'd be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And you know, this is pretty lonesome country here. Mountains and woods. You ain't seen anybody like that, have you? Uh, no. Oh, no, not, not at all. It's just uh, a technical question. <laughs> I see. Well, that'll be just $1.49 with the tax. Thing gradually passed from my mind a sheer coincidence. I had a good night's sleep in Pittsburgh. I didn't think about the man all next day until... From just outside of Zanesville, Ohio, I saw him again. It's a bright, sunshiny afternoon. The peaceful Ohio fields, brown with the autumn stubble, lay greening in the golden light. I was driving slowly, drinking it in, when the road suddenly ended in a detour in front of the barrier. He was standing. Now let me explain about his appearance before I go on. I repeat, there was nothing sinister about him. He was as drab as a mud fence. Nor was his attitude menacing. He merely stood there, waiting, almost drooping a little, a cheap overnight bag in his hand. He looked as though he'd been waiting there for hours. And he looked up. He hailed me. He started to walk forward. Hello? 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 No, not just now. Sorry. Going to California? No, not today. The other way. Going to New York. Sorry. 
got back on the road again, I felt like a fool. Yet the thought of picking him up, of having him sit beside me, was somehow unbearable. At the same time, I felt more than ever unspeakably alone. After hour went by, fields, the towns ticked off one by one. The light changed. I knew now that I was going to see him again. And though I dreaded the sight, I caught myself searching the side of the road, waiting for him to appear. Sandwiches and pop here, don't you? Yeah, we go in the daytime. But we're closed up now for the I night. know, and I was wondering if you could possibly have a cup of coffee, black coffee. Just No, not this time of night, mister. My wife's a cook. She's a man. Oh, no, don't shut the door, please. Listen, just a minute ago. Uh, just a minute ago, there was a man standing here right beside the stand, a suspicious-looking man. I, I don't mean to disturb it. And you see, I was driving along when I just happened to look, and there he was. How was he doing? Well, nothing. You've been taking a nip. That's what you've been doing. Now, on your way before I call out Sheriff Oaks. I got into the car again and drove on slowly. It's getting to hate the car. If I could have found a place to stop, to rest a little. I was in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri now. A few resort places that were closed, only an occasional log cabin... Seemingly deserted. That's all that broke the monotony of the wild, wooded landscape. And I had seen him at that roadside stand. I knew I'd see him again. Maybe at the next turn of the road. I knew that when I saw him next, I would run him down. next afternoon. It stopped a car at a sleepy little junction just across the border into Oklahoma to let a train pass by. When he appeared across the tracks, leaning against a telephone pole. Perfectly airless, dry day. The red clay of Oklahoma was baking under the southwestern sun. Yet there were spots of fresh rain on his shoulders. I couldn't stand that. Without thinking, blindly, I started the car across the tracks. He didn't look up at me. He was staring at the ground. I stepped on the gas hard, bearing the wheel sharply toward him. I could hear the train in the distance now, but I didn't care. Something went wrong with the car. The train was coming closer. I could hear its bell ringing and the cry of its whistle. Still, he stood there. And now I knew that he was beckoning, beckoning me to my death. Well, I frustrated him that time. I started work at last. I managed to back up. And the train passed. He was gone. I was 
was all alone in the hot, dry afternoon. After that, I knew I had to do something. I didn't know who this man was or what he wanted of me. I only knew that from now on, I mustn't let myself alone on the road for one minute. Uh, hello there. Like a ride? Well, what do you think? How far are you going? Uh, well, where do you want to go? Amarillo, Texas. I'll drive you there. Gee. Uh, you mind if I take off my shoes? My dogs are killing me. Go right ahead. Oh, gee, what a break this is. A hitchhike much? Sure, only it's tough sometimes in these great open spaces to get the break. Uh, I should think it would be, though. I'll bet you get a good pickup in a fast car. If you did, you could get places faster than, say, another person in another car, couldn't you? I don't get you. Well, take me, for instance. Suppose I'm I'm driving across the country, say, at a nice steady clip about 45 miles an hour. Uh, couldn't couldn't a girl like you just standing beside the road waiting for Liz beat me to town? Or any town, provided she got picked up every time in a car doing from 65 to 70 miles an hour? I don't know. What difference does it make? Oh, no difference. It's just a crazy idea I had sitting here in the car. Oh, imagine spending your time in a swell car thinking of things like that. What would you do instead? What would I do? If I was a good-looking fellow like yourself? Why, I just enjoy myself every minute of the time. I'd sit back and, and relax. But if I saw a good-looking girl along the side of the road... Hey, look out! Did you see him? See who? A man standing beside the barbed wire fence. Oh, I didn't see anybody. I... It wasn't nothing but a bunch of cows and and the wire fence. No? What do you think he was doing? Trying to run into the barbed wire fence? There a man there, I tell you. A thin gray man with an overnight bag in his hand. I I was trying to run him down. Run him down? You mean kill him? Say you didn't see him back there? You sure? I didn't see a soul. As far as I can... Watch for him the next time. Keep watching. Your eyes peeled on the road. He'll turn up again. Maybe any minute. There! Look there! How does this door work? I'm getting out of here. Did you see him that time? No, I didn't see him that time. And personally, mister, I don't expect never to see him. All I want to do is go on living. I don't see how I will very long, driving with you. I'm sorry, I didn't... I... I don't know what came over me, but please don't go. So if you'll excuse me... You can't go. Listen, how would you like to go to California? I'll drive you to California. Seeing pink elephants all the way? No, thanks. Uh Uh-uh, thanks just the same. Listen, please, just just one minute, please. You know what I think you need, big boy? Not a girlfriend. Just a good dose of... Please. There, I got it now. Now you can't go, please. Get your hands off me. Do you hear me? Get your hands off me. She ran from me. As though I were a monster. A few minutes later, I saw a passing truck pick her up. I knew then that I was utterly alone. It was in the heart of the great Texas prairies. There wasn't a car on the road after the truck went by. I tried to figure out what to do, how to get hold of myself. If I could find a place to rest, or even if I could sleep right here in the car for a few hours along the side of the road, 
getting my winter overcoat out of the back seat to use as a blanket when I saw him coming toward me, emerging from the herd of moving steer. Hello? Maybe I should have spoken to him then. Fought it out then and there. For now, he began to be everywhere. Whenever I stopped, even for a moment, for gas, for oil, for a drink of pop, a cup of coffee, sandwich, he was there. I saw him standing outside the auto camp in Amarillo that night when I dared to slow down. Just sitting near the drinking fountain, a little camping spot just inside the border of New Mexico. He was waiting for me outside the Navajo Reservation where I stopped to check my tires. I saw him in Albuquerque when I bought 20 gallons of gas. I was... I was afraid to stop now. I began to drive faster and faster. I was... Lunar landscape now. The great arid Mesa country of New Mexico. I drove through it with the indifference of a fly crawling over the face of the moon. Now he didn't even wait for me to stop. Unless I drove at 85 miles an hour over those endless roads, he waited for me at every other mile. I'd see his figure, shadowless, flitting before me, still in the same attitude over the cold, lifeless ground, flitting over dried-up rivers, over broken stones cast up by old glacial upheavals, flitting in that pure and cloudless air. I was beside myself when I finally reached Gallup, New Mexico this morning. There's an auto camp here. Cold, almost deserted this time of year. I went inside and asked if there was a telephone. I had the feeling that if only I could speak to someone familiar, someone I loved, I could pull myself together. Your call, please. Long distance. Long distance, certainly. This is long distance. I'd like, uh, I'd like to put a, in a call to my home in Brooklyn, New York. I'm Ronald Adams. I'm, uh, the, the number is Beechwood 200828. Certainly. I will try to get it for you. Albuquerque. New York for Gallup. New York. Gallup, New Mexico, calling Beechwood 200828. I'd read somewhere that love could banish demons. It's the middle of the morning. I knew Mother'd be home. I pictured her tall and white-haired in her crisp house dress, going about her tasks. Be enough, I thought, just to hear the even calmness of her voice. Will you please deposit $3.85 for the first three minutes? When you have deposited a dollar and a half, will you wait until I have collected the money? All right, deposit another dollar and a half. 
Will you please deposit the remaining 85 cents? Ready with Brooklyn. Go ahead, please. Hello? Mrs. Adams' residence. Hello, hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Who is it you wish to speak to, please? What? Who is this? This is Mrs. Winnie. Mrs. Winnie? I I don't know any Mrs. Winnie. Is this Beechwood 208828? Yes. Where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? Mrs. Adams is not at home. She's still in the hospital. The hospital? Yes. Who is this calling, please? Is it a member of the family? What's she in the hospital for? She's been prostrated for five days. Nervous breakdown. But who is this Nervous breakdown? Well, my grandmother never was nervous. It's all taken place since the death of her oldest son, Ronald. Death of her... Death of her oldest son, Ronald? Hey, what's this? What number is this? This is Beechwood 20828. It's all been very sudden. He was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. Your three minutes are up, sir. And so... So I'm sitting here in this deserted auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I'm trying to think... Trying to get hold of myself... Otherwise, I am going to go crazy. Outside, it's night. The vast, soulless night of New Mexico. A million stars are in the sky. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains. Prairies. Desert. Somewhere among them, he's waiting for me. Somewhere I shall know who he is and who I am. So ends the hitchhiker and to Orson Welles, our considerable thanks for his playing of the title role. Mr. Welles? Help wanted. Men, women, and children. Nature of work, hard, monotonous, back-breaking labor. Hours, 75 a week minimum. Pay, few cents an hour. Added inducement. Two meals a day, including several ounces of bad bread and a cup of thin soup. Don't delay. Apply at once. How'd you respond to a want ad like that, Mr. and Mrs. American working man and woman? You'd laugh, wouldn't you, and throw the paper in the trash basket. Dismiss the whole advertisement as some kind of a joke. But believe me, it's no joke. It's a simple statement of the working conditions that exist today in Nazi Germany. Then the conquered countries under Nazi rule. It's also an exact statement of the working conditions that will be imposed on you and every member of your family if the Nazis win this war. 
You yourself personally can stop them from winning, as you know. You don't have to give up your well-paid job to do it. You needn't have to be a soldier or a sailor or an airman or a nurse or a war worker to ensure American victory. Uncle Sam doesn't ask plain, ordinary, hard-working citizens like you to give him anything. All he asks, all this he does ask very seriously and very urgently, is that you loan him ten cents out of every dollar you make. That's all there is to it. Lend Uncle Sam a dime to win this war. And he'll pay you back with interest when he's won it. The easiest, most convenient way to lend him these dimes is to enroll in the payroll savings plan. Just tell your boss to deduct ten cents from every dollar he pays you and lend it to Uncle Sam in your name. Sign up for this simple savings plan today and when victory comes, you will have war bonds in your pockets instead of Axis bonds on your wrists. Suspense will be heard again two weeks from tonight. Next Wednesday night, September 9th, the Columbia Broadcasting System will present over many of these stations at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime an address by W. Averill Harriman, the United States Land Lease Administrator in London. Mr. Harriman, as the personal representative of the President of the United States, attended the Moscow conferences between Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin. Next Wednesday's broadcast will be Mr. Harriman's first public address since his return to this country. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. John Dietz was our guest director this evening. Tonight's radio drama was written by Lucille Fletcher. The original score was by Bernard Herrmann. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.